So we've been uh, looking at the book of Acts on Sunday nights, and we've, we saw last week that um, God sent Philip to Samaria, a place where Jews would not have wanted to go, a place even where Jesus initially had told them not to go, but a place that Jesus eventually told them they would go and bring the gospel. And God did a radical thing in Samaria and saw loads of these Samaritans uh, uh, get saved. And of course, we saw last week too with the whole um, the, the whole thing that happened with Simon the magician and, and talked about his supposed conversion. And we, and we saw um, you know, just how, how serious it can be when uh, someone... How serious it is, the fact that someone can profess faith and receive baptism and, and not actually be saved. We, we pick it up in verse 25 of Acts 8, and we see um, things kind of transitioning from what Philip's doing in Samaria to what God's going to call him next. And so we're going to look at chapter, uh, verse 25 through the end of the chapter, but let's just pick it up in verse 25. It says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This is a reference to the apostles. They're the ones doing this. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now what we're going to talk about today, uh, tonight, is what I'm going to call spirit-led mission. The fact that we know that, that Jesus told his followers, he said to them, uh, you know, wait in Jerusalem until you're endowed, endued with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when he does, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they were to wait for the power of the Spirit. And so the power came upon them. God did radical things in Jerusalem uh, and in the surrounding areas of Judea. As persecution came, they went further out. That's how Philip got to Samaria. And it's interesting here because we're seeing it wasn't just about the event of Pentecost that Jesus was interested in. It was about wanting his followers to know that, that what he promised them was true. He had said to them, it's to your advantage if I go away. He said, because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come, be sent to you, and uh, basically he's going to do great things through you. And so these guys are learning. We're, we're seeing an example here of, in, in, in this last part of Acts 8 of what it means to be led by the Spirit in mission. What does that look like? And it's interesting because here we see that the apostles, you know, they, they go to, to check out what's happening in Samaria. And uh, as they go and say, yeah, God's actually saving these people, that when they begin to leave, they're led by the Spirit to do what you would expect the Spirit to lead them to do, in that they were just preaching the gospel in these different villages as they go through Samaria. But in Philip's case, Philip, he's the one who went there. He's the one that God initially used to bring about this radical harvest. You might even call it a revival. And yet God sends an angel to tell Philip, I want you to leave a revival and I want you to go to a place where nobody is. Go to a desert, a wilderness. Now, speaking of angels, uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits uh, that God sends forth to serve those or minister to those um, uh, that are appointed for salvation. In other words, for believers. 
Um, it's important to recognize that most, you know, the vast majority of work that angels do, we never know about. And we probably, I don't think we'll ever will know about because I think they do what they do only for the glory of God, never for the glory of themselves. It's also important to recognize that Paul tells us really clearly in the book of Galatians that if an angel shows up and speaks to you anything other than what uh, was revealed through the apostles, don't believe it. That's one whole religion gone, the book of Mormon. Um, so, um, but the, there's a reality that we need to recognize that there are these ministering spirits or these angels that God will send to do things. And God sends an angel probably because he knew Philip would go, uh, it couldn't possibly be God if I have an inclination to leave a revival. So he sends an angel to say, actually, I want you to leave and I want you to go uh, to this place where there's nothing there. In fact, he sends them on this specific road and they would have known this was the road that was least traveled, the road that was... Um, often deserted. And so he calls him to go to this place. Well, it says in verse 27, he arose, he went, and behold, as he goes there, there's this man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, God's sending, the Spirit is leading Philip on this kind of unusual mission, sending him out of a place of revival into a deserted place. And he's going, he's meeting up with this guy who, if we think about who this guy is, in a sense, he would seem to be an unusual candidate for someone who's seeking after God, someone who would want to know who God is. The fact that it says that he's a eunuch of great authority, a eunuch means what you think it means. He's a eunuch. In fact, if uh, he was a eunuch in the queen's court, he would have been physically, if he wasn't born physically a eunuch, he would have been made a eunuch. And so here he is, he's a eunuch, and it's important because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that anybody who had experienced that, anybody who made themselves a eunuch or was made a eunuch by some sort of an accident, was not allowed to go into the temple courts and worship. And so here's a guy who wouldn't really even be allowed into the closer places to worship God. He couldn't fully worship God as a Jewish convert. But also the fact that he's, uh, he is a eunuch for the queen of Ethiopia. He's in, he has charge of all her treasury. It means he was powerful, obviously he had great authority. He had power and probably great wealth. So here's a guy, he's wealthy, he's powerful. He really doesn't have, at least from an Old Testament perspective, the access to God that he might hope to have. And also, he, he still is finding himself going to Jerusalem to worship. It's a pretty long trek from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem to worship, and he gets there, and he leaves. And as he's leaving, he's reading the book of Isaiah. It's interesting that he's reading Isaiah, because in Isaiah 56, talks about uh, God having mercy on those that are eunuchs. And, and so it's interesting that he, that's where he's reading. But you get the sense that this Ethiopian eunuch, that he's disillusioned with his attempts to seek after God. He, he, you know, here he is, he's got this power, he's got wealth, um, he obviously has the favor of his queen if he's allowed to go all the way to Jerusalem to do this worship, uh, but he doesn't know the Lord yet. He's still seeking, he still seems disillusioned. And God made sure that he sent Philip to that very right place at that very right time. And this is kind of the first point that we want to make tonight about spirit-led mission, and that is that the spirit can lead in really unpredictable ways. He can lead in ways that we just wouldn't expect. Now, one of the mistakes that we make is thinking that's that's how 
the Spirit leads. In other words, if it's not unpredictable, it's probably not the Spirit. Now, that's not true. There's no reason whatsoever for us to believe that the Holy Spirit was not leading the apostles as they were just kind of going from village to village preaching the gospel. In fact, I would say to you guys, if we want to be led by the Spirit, if we want to learn to to be sensitive to God's leading when He wants to do something unpredictable, then first be obedient to the predictable. (laughs) In other words, first do those things that you know God would want you to do. Be intentional about praying for the lost. Be intentional about uh, just asking God to prepare your heart for what mission He has for you. But then also know that the Spirit does, uh, does work and often can work in really unpredictable ways. And it's because God wants, as we, saw, we talked about this morning, God wants to reach people. This is to me and also another example, as we'll see later on in Acts chapter 10, of, of what I believe is a principle in Scripture, which is that when somebody is receiving the light that God gives them, God will give them more light. You know, that God is faithful when someone is responding to what they have to give them more light, you know. He's not earning anything from God. He, you know, all, all, all light from God is unmerited. We don't deserve it. But still, you know, here he is wrestling with something. Here he is, a eunuch who shouldn't think he should even go to Jerusalem to worship. And yet he's there, he's reading Isaiah, and God's going to meet him where he's at. So verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now it's interesting, it doesn't tell us how the Spirit spoke to him. Did he hear sort of an audible voice? Did he have this impression that he needed to do something? Um, Later on, again, in the book of Acts, we'll get to a place where the Spirit says to the Apostle Paul, uh, or the Spirit forbid the Apostle Paul to preach in Asia. And I've had that experience. I've had an experience where the Holy Spirit said, you are not to take this specific ministry position that I was offered. I mean, I, I just... I can't even fully explain, but I just knew that God was forbidding me to do it. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see a a message written on a bathroom mirror or something. I just knew that God was speaking to my heart. There was just something that I sensed this is the case. Maybe that's what Philip was experiencing. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think when we see uh, in the book of Acts the Spirit saying things, especially in a group context, it could be happening that God's Spirit is speaking through a, a prophetic word through somebody. But the point is... The Spirit's speaking and Philip's listening. He's wanting to do what the Spirit's leading him to do. And of course, you know, we have Luke's kind of background information about the Ethiopian, but he didn't know. He just said, look, I want you to run towards this chariot. I want you to go towards this chariot. So it says, verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him uh, reading the prophet Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this is a great thing to do. It's a great thing in our conver- in wanting to have conversations with people about Jesus to ask questions before you make proclamations. Ask questions. I don't know why we're so bad about this. Maybe it's because we are so just so wanting people to hear the gospel so they get saved. We just want to get the Jesus stuff out right away, which is good. But a lot of times we're going to know and be led by the Spirit to know what to say. What do we need to bring forth by asking questions? Now, of course... Let's be fair. Um, Philip's got a pretty nice thing. If you see someone reading the Bible, is this an open door, Lord? I'm not sure. I mean, it's kind of pretty obvious that, you know, you should do something there. But still, there's that, that principle of asking questions. He says, do you, you know, uh, do you understand what you're reading? Now, it's great because it says in verse 31 that the Ethiopian says, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asks Philip to come up and sit with him. 
I mean, can you imagine, kind of picture the scene that, you know, Philip is, is told to go down this dark desert road that's pretty, pretty deserted. He's walking down, it's hot. He's thinking, why did I leave Samaria? It was going so well. And, and he's walking down this road, and then he sees this chariot in the distance, and the Spirit says, however, go catch up to that guy, or go, go with, with that guy. And you can just kind of see him running up next to the chariot, and he sees him, he's reading Isaiah, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity, God's going to do something. And he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I, I would be breathing hard, because that's what happens when I run. But, you know, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, come on up, tell me about it. Now, what's really cool about this to me is the fact that this Ethiopian, uh, he, he really is showing real humility here. Well, how can I possibly know unless somebody teaches me? You know, that's one of the, the aspects of humility. Humility always knows it needs a teacher. Always. Now, interesting. Here's what the Scripture says. Scripture says in Romans 10, Paul says, How can they call on him, that's calling Jesus to be saved, in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Now, Jesus calls us first and foremost to be disciples, right? And a disciple is what? A learner. So the reality is for every follower of Jesus, we're called to be both a learner and a teacher. I'm not saying called to the position of teaching, but called to explain truth to people, explain the gospel, share the gospel with people. And it's interesting, one goes with the other. If we want to learn from the Lord, we need to be willing to share what we know of the Lord. Have you found that to be true? The more you share, the more things click. I don't know if that's you've had an experience where you you're trying to someone asks a question and you think you know the answer, you start to share it. When as you share, it, you go, yeah, the, the penny drops for you. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, yeah, okay, I get this. But also, if you want to be one who shares, you have to be one who learns. You have to do that one needful thing that Mary chose, to sit the Lord's feet and to hear his word. And so this man, he, he's showing you know, genuine humility. And it, this is a great thing because it shows the Spirit's work. And the Spirit is working, you might say, on both sides of the gospel. So the Spirit's working through the person who's going to share the gospel. And the Spirit's working in the person who needs to receive the gospel. This is why we pray. This is why we should actually have confidence in our evangelism. And I know, I know firsthand, it's, it's re- it can be really disappointing when you're trying to share with people and in, in a, in a variety of people and they just kind of seem to blow you off. It can be really difficult. But we need to pray with confidence and believe that God's going to do stuff because God the Spirit has to do the work in that person as much as God the Spirit has to do the work through you as well. Both of those things have to happen. And it's a great picture of the Holy Spirit working on both sides of the gospel. So then verse 32, it says, the, the, here's the place in the scripture w- which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. <laughs> I mean, that's Isaiah 53. And you, you think, you know, could there be a better Old Testament passage <laughs> to share Jesus from? I mean, God's just all over this thing. I mean, I wish all witnessing opportunities were this easy. I mean, it's great. But still, it's, it's a beautiful thing. That, that This is what he's reading. Now, this also reminds us that, you know what? The Spirit's favorite tool is the Scripture. It really is the Scripture. You know, we have uh, several people in the church... Um, who are trying to share the Lord with their close friends. And one of the ways they're doing it uh, is just to say, hey, do you want to get together and read, say, the Gospel of Luke together? 
you know, which I'll be honest, I never actually thought of before I came here. I know it sounds stupid, but I never actually thought of sitting down and reading the scripture with an unbeliever. I never thought about that until I moved to this country. I mean, I always saw evangelism as something that I either do from a pulpit or something I do in the street or something I do just conversationally. And to be honest, most of the time it was a monologue. But what a great thing to do. Hey, let's read this together. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, let's talk about it. And it's, it's a really good thing to do. If you, can, if you have friends or, or neighbors or, or someone who's willing to say, hey, you want to get together and kind of just have you ever ask people, have you ever read the Gospels before? Are you interested in kind of just checking out one and see if we can figure out what it means and see if we understand what the authors are trying to say? It's a great thing to do. Don't underestimate the fact that the Scripture is the Spirit's favorite tool. It's called the sword of the Spirit for a reason. So they're in the Scripture, right? It says in verse 33, the rest of Isaiah, the, the Isaiah that they read, In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for his, uh, his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answers Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say, that, uh, say this? Of himself or some other man? What a great question. Then Philip opens his mouth and, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, a couple things about this I want you to notice. One is that... Um, the man's asking a great question, and Philip's going to answer that question. And again, you couldn't ask for a better scenario if you're trying to share Jesus with somebody. But th- he's asking the kind of question you hope someone to ask, because this is the thing about the Scripture that we need to understand. The Scripture is not about what as much as it's about whom, okay? That Jesus is the main theme of all Scripture. So you need to know that if you're reading Scripture with somebody, you want to... First of all, you want to make sure you know what you're going to read with them and be a little bit prepared. That would be wise. But also, you're, you, you want to know, how does this point back to Jesus? How does this, what does this tell me about why people need Jesus? What does this tell me about who Jesus is? What does this tell me about what Jesus has accomplished? What does this tell me about what Jesus is going to do? So on and so forth. What does it tell me about what Jesus wants me to trust him for? And, and, and so, but you're always wanting to bring it back to Jesus. Philip preached Jesus. He didn't preach Christianity, a what? He preached Jesus, a who? And this is so important. I, I mean, I say this a lot. I know you guys probably get annoyed that I say it so much, but it's amazing how quick people forget this. In fact, one of the things that I, I kind of, I guess I'd use as an indicator of, of what God's doing in someone's heart is when I see them shifting from talking about Christianity as an it to a him. When I see people talking about Jesus and not just talking about Christianity or being a Christian, but talking about the person of Jesus, because that's who saves us. And we're saved by him and we're saved for him. And so uh, Philip is wisely bringing this back to Jesus. Now we could unpack uh, what these things of Isaiah imply, but because Luke doesn't do it, I'm not going to do it either. So, well, you can ask that question afterwards if you want. Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, I'm not being dramatic when I say it with enthusiasm, because that's exactly how this is. In fact, literally it's like, Look, water! That's what it means. In the, that's how it is in the Greek. Lo, water. That's what it is. It's like as Philip's sharing with him about Jesus, and obviously as he's sharing with Jesus, there was some, there was some communication about baptism. 
Not because baptism saves, obviously, but because of that. that uh, in fact, I, I, I would suspect that this Ethiopian eunuch would have known that as an Ethiopian wanting to become part of Israel, he would need to be baptized. He would need to say, I'm dead to my old life, and, and now I'm, I have a new identity. So he would have some probably understanding of identity. And so now, Phil's preaching Jesus to him and saying, this is the identity that you, you can have. Now your identity with Jesus, so guess what you need to do? Be baptized. And he's going, water, now! Do let's do it. You know he's really excited, and I love this because this really is 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 how it should be. You know, saving faith always desires public proclamation. Now, saving faith might be afraid of public proclamation. I still get afraid to sometimes talk about Jesus in public. It's it's scary talking in public for one, and talking with strangers can be scary. But there should be that desire. I want to be identified with Jesus. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. Now, we've seen a lot of, of, in modern Christianity, a lot of wanting to not embarrass people, wanting to not uh, make too much of, of uh, wanting it to be easy for people to come to Jesus, I guess. It's probably the motivation. But with that, a lot of times what's happened is we've made it so easy, it doesn't even resemble what it looks like in the Scripture anymore. Where, where Jesus called people publicly, and he warned them they're gonna, people are going to hate him, and, and you know, he prepared them for the difficulties, and, and we're kind of like, hey, would you like to have a private conversation and get baptized when no one's looking? And I remember meeting a guy one time who said to me, uh, met him through a mutual friend, and we were driving somewhere, and I kind of sensed he wanted I've been a believer, so I was trying to share Jesus with him a little bit. And he's like, well, he's actually, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I just, don't, I just don't tell anybody. It's a secret. In fact, he said, I'm a secret Christian. <sighs> was that like MI7 or something? Was that a secret Christian? How does that work? And I thought, that, that doesn't fit with what we see in Scripture. It really doesn't. Now, there, here's a reality. Especially, I'd say, for people who've grown up in the church. If you've grown up in the church, sometimes it's hard to know, when did I get saved? And sometimes it's kind of, am I saved? And you can wrestle with these things. And you, I have to say, it's easier for me, having not known anything about Jesus, having a radical conversion experience, which isn't everyone's experience, made it much easier for me to be vocal about my faith, in one sense, because there was just something radical that happened. But I think the principle still holds true. Saving faith always desires public proclamation. So he wants to be baptized. Verse 37, Philip says, Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I love this because uh, we we mentioned this a little bit this morning uh, about how what, what we mean by believe. What does it mean to believe? It means to trust someone or maybe even better, to entrust someone with something. That's what it means to believe. So, so let's say, uh, you know, um, let's say I need a favor from one of you guys. I say, look, I need you guys, can one of you do me a favor? I need someone who can drive my family to Heathrow Airport. And I'm asking you to drive because I'm entrusting you with the safety of my family to get them from point A to point B. I'm entrusting you with that. Now, it wouldn't take a huge amount of faith for, well, for some of you, 
for others of you, knowing you're driving, it would take a whole lot of faith. But for most of you, it wouldn't be, take a whole lot of faith to say, yeah, I can entrust you with my family to get there from point A to point B. But the more valuable the cargo, the more potential risk, the more difficult the, the journey, you might say, would mean what it takes to entrust even more so. And so I can imagine as, as Philip is explaining um, Isaiah 53 and other scriptures, he went all throughout the other scriptures, he only began out of 53, as he's talking about what we need to entrust Christ with. We're entrusting Christ with our right standing with God, that he was going, sign me up. I totally believe he's the Son of God. Now, some versions, if you have like NIV or ESV, uh, they don't have verse 37 in there. Yeah. Yeah, where's your 37? And, and in fact, some of them go 36 and then verse 38, which is weird. And that's because it's, it's, it's not in some manuscripts. But this is one of those times when I think, okay... Um, and I understand that. I understand the dynamics of those things. But this is one of the times I think, is, it, is this not seem like the clearest thing that Philip would have, would have done? Seems to me it would have. And it was in enough manuscripts to be in the New King James. That's good enough for me. <laughs> the point is, is that um, the Ethiopian, he has this enthusiastic desire to be baptized. Uh, the fact is, he recognizes who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him. I'm sure that's the case, even if verse 37 is not supposed to be in there. But then also what it says is, so verse 38, so when he commanded, so uh, he commands the chariot to stop, and both Philip and Eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized them. In other words, he actually recognized, or he actually uh, went through this sincere act. Now, this is not a great formal service, but it's definitely a sincere act, isn't it? Now, in most church traditions, including ours, we do a formal service for baptism. But that's not anywhere required in Scripture. Now, we do it. We tend to do it as a part of our fourth Sunday bring-in chair if we can, because we want the person who's going to be baptized, we usually encourage them to share their, their tes- testimony a bit and invite all their family and friends, and we have a big meal, and it's a celebration, and it's fun. It's a great chance to share the gospel with them as well. But the requ- Bible doesn't require that. But there needs to be that sincere act. And don't forget, too, this is not him trying to hide in some corner because obviously the driver would have known. This guy became not just, he's a, he's a Christian. That rumor would have gone fast. But as I said, saving faith desires uh, public proclamation. So quickly, verse 39 and 40. Now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotas, uh, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, I'm prepared to believe plainly that there's like a miracle that took place. That basically, you know, Philip baptizes in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, brings him back out of the water, the, the guy comes up, yes, where's Philip? And he's instantly gone. I have no problem believing that. Some say, no, it's probably just, it means that he was so caught up in his excitement that he didn't notice that Philip took off and did his own thing. I don't know. Could be. It doesn't seem like it would have said that. It would have said Philip went on his way, not the Spirit caught him up. In fact, it's interesting. Caught up is the same word that's used when the Bible describes what we would call the rapture in 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians. The point is this, though. The saving faith uh, also always leads to joy. Now, so far we've talked about, it's talking about spirit-led mission. We've talked about the spirit can lead us in unpredictable ways. We've talked about that the spirit always leads us to Jesus. 
That's what, Pete, uh, that's what uh, Philip preached. He preached Jesus. The Spirit will always lead us to preach Jesus. But also here we see the Spirit's always going to lead to a response of faith. The Spirit's always, when the Spirit's working in someone's heart, is always going to lead them to trust Jesus, to respond to Jesus. That's what, why we want to, in cooperation with the Spirit, call people to believe. Call them to respond in faith. You can trust Jesus. Now, um, that can be leading them in the sinner's prayer, though I think we have to be careful that we don't treat that as some sort of sacrament. People can say the sinner's prayer as if that solves everything. That's not healthy. Uh, but you can use it. But it can be a, get baptized. But again, even that, people can use that as, oh, I've been baptized now. I'm saved because I was baptized. No, it's calling them to trust Jesus. We want to call them the response of faith. And here's the good news. As they respond in faith, God answers. And as God answers, there's joy. Now, I want to kind of finish quickly with this. The scene from after Jesus has been resurrected. And he's one of the times he's appeared to his disciples. Because I think it's interesting about this idea of saving faith and joy. So Jesus shows up. One of the times he appears to his disciples in his resurrected body, right? And he shows up, and they're like, they don't know what to make of it. And it says, while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, Jesus said to them, have you any food? Then they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I can, I can imagine Jesus kind of going, food? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. He ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And it says, and he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now I wanted to share those verses because this is one of the things that that I do worry about uh, for people, especially in, in, in churches like ours, where we're so into the scriptures. We really want to be scripture saturated that what happens is people will believe, but they don't believe for joy. In other words, they kind of go, yeah, I get it. I, I can imagine that Jesus is saying these things. Like, didn't I say to you before? He had already communicated them. They had heard before the fact that he had to fulfill all the law and the prophets, all the things that were written in the Psalms. They knew that before. They see him in his resurrection body. They, they, they're not necessarily denying that it's him. They're just kind of, yeah, it's true. What does that mean? And they're not believing for joy. And, and Jesus, therefore, what does he do? He opens their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Why? Because the Bible says faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. And faith that we get from the word of God, saving faith, leads us into joy. God, The fruit of the spirit is Joy. God wants to bring us into joy. Now, don't think of joy as, oh, I just want that feeling of joy. Joy has an object. We rejoice in what? Christ Jesus. When David sinned with Bathsheba and was called out a year later, what does he pray in Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Joy has an object. See, this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit wants to move us. And guys, this is here, here's a, uh, something to think about as well. And not that we don't need to warn people soberly. We definitely need to warn people soberly. We've been doing that in, one, in 2 Peter. But the reality is, if we get no joy in following Jesus, and we're trying to call people to follow Jesus, how effective do you think that's going to be? 
You should follow Jesus. Why? Because wonderful. <laughs> He's so great. Now, granted, part of the reason we're calling people to repent and believe in Jesus is because the consequences are, are grim. But sometimes I think people look at our lives as believers and they go, well, the consequences sound grim, but your life looks a bit grim. And I'm not talking about circumstantially. God's not promising us any kind of grand circumstances. But joy, remember we talked about this, was it last week or two weeks ago? Happiness has to do with a change in circumstances. Joy has to do with a change in perspective. You can't get a better change of perspective than seeing things through the eyes of Christ, seeing things through what he says about himself in the Word. So let's pray for each other to be filled with the Spirit so that when we do mission, we're not doing it in our own strength, but that he would lead and he would empower and we'd be able to go forth in joy as he leads us to do so. Amen?